Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. We're making our way through the Bible. That's a kind of a core value of Calvary chapels. We go verse-by-verse through the Word of God. James chapter 2. Now, Father, as we settle into our seats and your presence settle into our hearts, we pray that you would open our understanding to receive these very important exhortations by the Holy Spirit through your man, James, for us today. In Christ's name. Amen. Dateline NBC had a hidden camera investigation that I enjoyed watching. It was called Face Value. Does looks, do looks really matter? So the question was, do people who are physically attractive, who wear nice clothing or expensive accessories or drive nice cars, do they receive preferential treatment? The answer will shock you. (laughs) Yes, they do. Now, the show hired models, Anthony and Allison, dressed them up, gave them a makeover, not that they needed one, and placed them on a busy Manhattan intersection with a file folder conveniently stuffed, filled with papers, and they drop them, and there go the papers everywhere. Well, lo and behold, there's no shortage of helpers. They're stepping over one another to be of assistance to the attractive couple. Next, the NBC uh, staffers. There's a couple of them, and they're just employees. They're average-looking people, maybe dressed down just a little bit, but pretty ordinary, And same corner, same file folder, same whoops. And it was embarrassing to be a human being and watch everybody like just blind cattle stomping right by, treading over the papers, not lending a hand. And whether it's being seated in a restaurant or whether it's being considered for a job, or whether it's just being shown the courtesy of the time of day and some interest, it's really a sad situation. Dr. Gordon Patzer, who was quoted on the show, uh, dean of the College of Business Administration at Roosevelt University, quote, people are valued more who are more physically attractive better, well, more well-off financially, more socially connected. As distasteful as that might be, that's reality. It's the way the world works. 
Well, it may be the way the world works, but it is not the way that the kingdom of God works. It is not the way that God thinks, and it's not the way that his people should behave. The Bible says that favoritism is a sin. It's not just the human condition and the way that we all tend to be. That's just downright evil. And James is going to take those uh, Christians who are showing favoritism uh, to task about it. Now, as you recall, for context here, for some of our new folks, James is dealing harshly uh, and straightforward with the weak and worldly, we call them carnal Christians, and that just means a, a Christian who's kind of degenerated and watered down their faith so that you really can't see a clear distinction between a Christian and a person who's an atheist. He's dealing with those kinds of genuine believers, but who have compromised lives. And that's why, you know, James is really, you know, there's a slap in the face at every turn in the book of James because he's trying to get them on the right path. Now, the attitudes toward people in the church weren't much different from the prevailing attitudes in the pagan world and this as it regarded treating people with favoritism. It was ugly. Well, let's read. I'll show you what I mean. Verse 1 through 13 for this morning's consideration. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. It's not, isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. And are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So that will be the portion of scripture which we consider this morning. James is continuing his theme. What is true religion? What does it mean to be a professed believer in our Lord Jesus Christ? What does that look like? What behavior would God say two thumbs up to or two thumbs down? Now, James is, is um, telling us here, you know, about this sin of showing partiality. 
to people based on superficial uh, appearances and how we all do that kind of thing. Now, let's talk about this terrible tendency, and we'll, we'll do so by following James' simple outline. Number one, the ugly picture. Number two, the crazy logic of it all. And three, the simple remedy. So first of all, the ugly picture, the unfortunate reality, you know. He says there in the grammar really is saying that this is something he's prohibiting, a practice that is, that's already in progress. He says suppose. Suppose this happens, but it's very it's a polite grammatical way in the Greek to soften the directness of it. It's like me coming to you and say, saying something that you have done and say, hey, let's say that somebody did such and such. And surprise, it's you. Well, you already know I'm talking about you, but it's just a way of saying, let's talk about this thing that you're doing. Now, the ugly picture is prefaced with a simple command. Show no partiality, no bias. Don't be a respecter of persons. Refrain from favoritism. Do not be prejudiced. Here's the paraphrased thought. It's only a thought. We who are in relationship with this glorious, majestic, loving God must never, ever play favorites. The word in the Greek for showing favoritism is very interesting. Literally, it means receiving the face. In other words, to make judgments and considerations based on external physical appearance, social status or race or whatever. Receiving the face. Do not be somebody who receives the face. In other words, I'm going to make all my judgment calls about a quick glance at the exterior. He calls that favoritism in the Greek there. Now, a profound opening line, he says, listen to what he's saying. As believers linked to, you have a union with this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, playing favorites, it's it's a mutually exclusive terms. The Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of God, and you're connected to that. Therefore, favoritism is out of the question. So, you know, he's saying, really, let's consider this Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, the second person of the Godhead, Uh, comes to us through the virgin womb of somebody who's poor, a peasant. He is laid there in a manger, a feeding trough. He's born in a barn, not in a palace. He takes the form of an average-looking man. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus, by the way, was not good-looking? He wouldn't be Good-looking, he's one of the guys you would pass on the street corner and not lend a hand to help him with his file folder because he wasn't strikingly uh, good-looking. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, in simple language, Jesus was not good-looking. He could have manifested himself any place to anybody with any form. And he takes the form of an ordinary-looking guy who's poor and has no privileges. And James is saying, as believers in this glorious Lord who would live a lowly life, the very people you ought to be sensitive to was somebody like him. Or could he come to your congregation as he was, poor, 
with no place to lay his head, with his kind of clothes, with his kind of face. And what would you do? He would be the poor man. You would say, oh, please sit here. And it would be the Lord of glory. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he's become poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know, I read a story a commentator included in his writing, a woman from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, from the downtown mission, wanted to join this very fashionable church in the community. So she went to the pastor, and the pastor said, "Um, okay, why don't you take a week and think about it and then come back and talk to me? So she did, and he said the second time, well, let's not be hasty. Um, Go ahead and read your Bible a chapter a day, and then come back and talk to me about becoming a church member here. And she did, and she came back, and he said, you know what, this last time, I really want you to get a hold of God and, and, and pray to him and ask him, is it your will, O Lord, to join this church? And so after six months, he never saw her, and he ran into her on the street one day, and he said, well, I haven't seen you around. And she said, well, I did what you asked. I prayed to the Lord, and then I heard him say, Don't worry about getting into that church. I've been trying to get into it myself for the last 20 years. (laughs) It freaks me out to think that God could send an angel unaware to any of us with a face that says, I'm in need, with the clothes that says, I'm in need, and for us to snub who in reality is a citizen of heaven who lives in the presence of God, let alone Jesus Christ, honestly. And so he says, you believe and you're joined to this glorious God who became a humble man without good looks, without privileged upbringing, without material possessions, and take a look at how he lived and how he ministered. Jesus was at home with the, with the tax collectors. He hung out with prostitutes. That was the big deal. You're friends with everybody. You're friends with sinners. You don't, and here's what they said. They sent spies to catch him. And they said they were going to set him up for some uh, a trick question. And they said, go, good teacher. We, I have it written down here. He says, we acknowledge that you come from God, for you are not a respecter of anybody. You are not swayed by who they are. You see, Jesus looked straight to the heart. He saw the value in everybody. He didn't, he, he didn't just receive faith. And show favoritism. Can you imagine that? So he says, since you are a believers, my brothers, believers in the Lord, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, who was lowly in his own life and then ministered to everybody, to the Pharisee, to the religious, to the prostitute, to the sinner, to the leper, to the tax collector, to anybody, to the morally upright person, rich and poor, All he treated with equal respect. 
God is not this way. For the Lord your God, the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, shows no partiality. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. And so he says, look, right off from the jump, that's pretty ugly right there. But then now he says, if you don't get it, let me paint a picture. And allow me to kind of contemporize the picture, okay? Here's the, I don't know, the RRV, Ross Ryman version. All right. <laughs> paraphrase. The RRP, the paraphrase. So let's say, as is the case, in drives a young, hot-looking guy in a Ferrari into the church parking lot. Word gets out right away, and in he struts to the foyer with a winsome smile, cool threads, designer clothes, and fashionable shades. He's greeted with oohs and ahs, and people are tripping all over themselves trying to serve him coffee and invite him to their home fellowship group. (laughs) In the same service... In walks a man obviously in need, seeking some comfort and spiritual direction. His appearance gives him away. Old, dirty, mismatched clothing, disheveled hair, unshaven, looking sad and lonely. And the congregation scatters before him, every eye looking in the other direction and pretending not to see him. And the guy sits by himself off in the corner. Not one person speaks to him. Wouldn't you call this kind of thing evil? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, this kind of thing, thinking, comes from the devil. It's just wrong. So now, the world that James lives in is very status conscious and filled with uh, hate and prejudice based on class and ethnicity and nationality. You know, there was Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, Greek and barbarian. The list goes on and on. But Jesus came to destroy that kind of thing, to create one race of people, believers, all paid for by his blood. The cross, my friend, is the great leveler. We all cost the same. The rich man cost Jesus death. The poor man cost Jesus death. The man who was morally inclined and good, did good deeds all his life cost Jesus blood. And the sinful, corrupted man cost Jesus blood. The cross and Jesus' blood and the cup that we all pass levels us all. And we all stand before God in one grouping, sinners saved by grace, There are no sections in heaven, but though in heaven you will find distinction of faithfulness, people who served well over people who did not. And so that's another story in itself. And so really, uh, the Bible says, Proverbs 14, 20, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. And so really, this truth is being lived out here in James chapter 2. Now, why would anybody shun the poor or the ordinary looking or somebody who's not attractive? The word in the Greek for the rich guy is he's... It says gold-fingered. 
it means that he had gold on his fingers. And in the Roman Empire, there was a class of people called the equestrian class. They were like the knights. And they would wear gold rings on every finger. And so he says, the gold fingers one. And then the word for the rich guy's clothes is lampros, where we get the word lamp. So bright and shining, silky kind of garments, you know. Now, it's another proverb, Proverbs 19.6. Many curry favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. And so it's pretty obvious, isn't it, why we receive face? Because by connecting with them, there's something to gain. The ugly truth of it is that befriending people who are attractive and well-off can benefit us. And when we say the rich here, to show face to the rich, really you just put in the beautiful or the talented or the gifted or the socially connected or the famous or the popular, you know, that's really what he's talking about. Materially, I stand to gain something from you. Socially, I profit from being uh, associated with them. It boosts my own value in the eyes of others and myself. Emotionally, I profit because somehow I feel better about myself because we're in relationship. There's a lot of ego and pride. It's just really ugly. There's a story told by Lane Adams, who used to work with Billy Graham. And he pastored a very large, affluent church. And his wife sat anonymously there. Nobody really knew who she was for months. And a few of the ladies gave his wife just kind of a hard time. They were rude to her, and uh, they kind of talk behind her back and a few things like that happened and she tried to befriend them but nothing and then one day the pastor of this large church introduced his wife and she sang a solo and then the ladies all clamored around her and suddenly you know it went from being really rude and not interested to suddenly wanting to be her friend she said that how sad that was and that she, her closest bonds in that fellowship came from people who befriended her before they ever knew that she was the pastor's wife. And that happens a lot, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, the shabby guy, the poor, the poor can cost us. You know, the socially awkward or the unattractive, less gifted, less abilities or the unhealthy, whatever it is materially, I stand to lose. You might cost me something. Socially, I stand to lose by being associated with you, decreasing my own status in the eyes of other, others. You know that scene in um, one of my favorite movies, uh, October Sky, and a bunch of kids building a rocket and... Uh, to get out of uh, their coal mining town. And uh, in order to build a rocket, rocket, Homer needs to be friends with the science geek, Quentin. But nobody liked Quentin. And Quentin was a geek. And he sat by himself. 
and he'd eat lunch by himself. And one day it dawns on Homer, I'm not getting anywhere unless I hook up with that gee. And so he's sitting there in the cafeteria, surrounded, he's popular, he's good looking, and he's got a lot of friends, and he looks up and he sees... I'm going to go sit over there with him. And he gets up and he goes over and he sits down and the entire cafeteria gasps and everybody stops. And they're, they're holding their, they're like this. Uh, you know, it's going to cost you to put away receiving face and say, because you're created in the image of God, because of the love God has shown me, because of the cross that levels us all the same, we're all geeks in God's eyes. <laughs> Loved, <laughs> beloved, but we're all falling short. We're all the same. We're all... So he can step out. But it'll cost you, my friend, and that's why we don't do it. You have nothing to gain and everything to lose, so why should I even invites you to sit with me. And that's pretty sad. Calvary Chapel started because Chuck Smith was entertaining hippies from the Jesus movement that his mainline denomination said, we think you're going a little too far. And so he said, well, I'll start my own church. And he opened the door and they were sitting everywhere. And they were hygienically challenged. He tells the story. You like that one. <laughs> he didn't care. He said, come as you are. The gospel is free. It's just not for people who smell clean and have their faces all together and drive nice cars. It's for everybody, especially the needy. Calvary Chapel was born that way. I told and do tell the youth pastors and every pastor of this church, there's a fireable offense that I have zero tolerance for. You will be fired if this becomes the case. If any kid goes to the youth group and he feels the youth group is too cool, that's not going to be tolerated here. My kids were dropped off once at a church. They went in and they came out depressed and they said, they're just the cool kids. The cool kids wouldn't talk to us. They made fun of my, my sneakers we sat by ourselves. Christian church. And I'm sorry, that kind of thing comes down from leadership. It matters to us about this or it doesn't matter about this. Who cares? Eternal life is on the line. People need to, oh, we're his representatives. What are we saying when we're saying you're worthless? We don't, uh, you're not cool enough to, and, and, and we're representing God. We are God's ambassadors. We are his rep representatives. So when somebody gets the signal, uh, you're not very important. You're worthless because you don't kind of add up to me. You don't matter to me. You're saying that in Jesus' name to them. That's why it's a terrible sin. We have to receive everybody for the sake of receiving them. You know, there's a, a slide I want to show you. I read about this guy. It's awesome. He worked in a convenience store in the South. He didn't have a lot of friends. Not very popular. That is until he won the Powerball. $258 million. Solo. 
him. <laughs> you know what? He was really popular afterwards. And you know what he said? He just has fun. Thank you for that. I really like my old friends. The ones who loved me before. Those are my true friends, but now I don't know who my true friends are anymore. Wouldn't it have been nice for you to have seen past the face and befriended him? It would have had a big payoff. (laughs) You would have been, yes, I finally did something right. Jesus is going to see people on that day. And he's going to say, oh, by the way, thanks for looking past this and coming to prison, hanging out with me. Uh, Oh, thanks for seeing past this. You gave me something to wear. Oh, thanks for reaching out to me and seeing past this. And they're going to say, Lord, uh, when did we ever see you needing clothes or something to eat? Come on. He says, when you did it, To them, the least Christian, the one who doesn't have the face, you did it to me. Big payoff. And on that day, it's going to be, yes, you know, you saw past. You weren't fooled by this. Jesus said, don't be fooled by that because you're going to stop and it's it's not going to be good. So the next thing he says is the crazy logic. He says, here's the paraphrase. Please listen to reason. Does your behavior even make sense? It's the needy of the world that God's grace is finding. The down and out are actually the rich in faith and heirs of heaven. For the world's, they are the world's nobodies. God is saving these kind of people, but you're insulting them. Isn't it the very slick rich Romans who are taking advantage of you? Aren't these the same folks dragging you into court? Have you listened to how these luxury-living big shots abuse the name of our Lord Jesus, to whom we belong? So he says, fawning over the bad guy and snubbing the good guy, What? it doesn't make sense. So here's some clarity. The poor are not inherently good. Some of the most evil people in the world are poor. The rich are not inherently evil. Some of the noblest Christians are rich. God isn't against youth and beauty, athletic ability, money, education, degrees, or anything that gives us an advantage in life. It's when these things are idolized and placed before relationship with God and are used as a measure of worth on earth and standing in his kingdom, then the good thing becomes a bad thing. David and Solomon were rich. Samson was a total stud. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Josephus, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, I should say, was rich. Paul the Apostle was educated. He was an educated man. But here's what they all would say. For whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He's saying, you know what? It's cool that God is using me as a very educated man to spread the gospel, but it doesn't mean anything. You see, it's cool that you have money or you have accomplishments, but what does it mean in God's kingdom? That's the important thing. So he asks a few questions. So he says, the first question, don't you realize that most of heaven will be populated by the needy of the world? So in walks the needy person, and you're like, ooh, bad. And in walks the rich person, you're like, oh, good. And he says, are you crazy? Three quarters or more of heaven is going to be populated by who? The ones you're shunning. Why? Because it's inherently good that you're poor? No, because when you're poor and needy, you're more open to receive because you feel your need. And so the poor are blessed because they know that they need him and God is pouring his grace out upon them. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. You hear these Jewish men know the scriptures and the down and out people are getting in because they feel their need. And Jesus speaks. They're like, yes, that's what I'm longing for. And so they're blessed. And so, you know, there was something about the oozing sores on the lepers that made them listen to Jesus and obey. You know, first Corinthians one. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in this world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. So he's saying that truth right there. Is this that why would you turn away from somebody who's got visible need when that's the very person that God is after and really who makes up most of the church? That's who most of the church is. So it doesn't make any sense. And then he turns on the, the folly of fawning over the rich. He has a few questions. Number one, he says, didn't you just write me about these well-off landlords of yours denying your building permit and overcharging you for rent? Now suddenly a rich guy walks in and you're like, oh, can we serve you? Does that make sense to you, James says? Question number two, wasn't I just in court with you? Last week, when one of these rich bureaucrats was suing you to stop the church from meeting, question number three, why not go hang out on Friday night to the tavern across town with the Roman elite and listen to them use the name of Jesus? So he's talking, of course, of unbelieving rich people and for them to be suckered into thinking, wow, that is so cool. It's like battered wife syndrome. I mean, here it is in the world that we look to celebrities and politicians and fame and fortune and athletes who have money and we look to them and go, oh, wow. And if one of them came into the church, we'd be, oh, wow. And and the Lord says, don't they generally speaking, stand for everything against what you believe? Aren't they the ones who are hindering the gospel? So James is just saying, it's just curious to me that suddenly somebody from the pagan world 
comes in and you're drooling all over them. Could you just remember, listen to the last interview that somebody from Hollywood gave. And how many times he used God and oh my God and Jesus and oh my God, totally. He says, is that what you're applauding and saying and you're all fawning all all over? He says, come on, think about it. Stop receiving the face. In 1 Samuel 16, the Lord sends Samuel to Jesse's house. He's got seven boys. He says, one of them, the Lord wants to be king. So he says, okay, here they are. And Eliab walks out. Eliab's a foot taller than everybody else and really good looking. And Samuel thinks to himself, oh, surely that's him. And the Lord rebukes him and says, Samuel, he's not the one. I have rejected him. Do not look on the outward. For what you guys look on the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. We have to emulate that kind of thing. We not receive the face. And then finally, in just a couple more comments, let me paraphrase the last part. We've seen the ugly picture. We've heard the crazy logic. And now the simple solution. And by the way, all of God's solutions are simple. Here's how it ends. It's all about keeping the most important commandment in the Bible, the royal commandment. To love others with the same kind of passion we care about ourselves with. So if you play favorites, you've broken the royal commandment to pieces. And if you've broken the most important commandment, then you're guilty of all the other ones too. Because the same God who said, thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not commit adultery is the same who prohibits favoritism. So can you, can you feel good about yourself if you murder someone, but at least you're not an adulterer or... You sleep with someone else's spouse, and it's okay because you don't go around killing people. The point is that you've broken God's law. You're a lawbreaker. So here's what they're saying. James, come on. Who doesn't fawn over the rich people and attractive people? We lift them up. That's how. You know what? I got it together in all these other areas, and I got this little problem with judging people like that. And he says, no. There's a royal law. There's a kingpin command. Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love the other with the same passion you love yourself. Upon these two thoughts, the entire Old Testament hangs. In other words, destroy those two ideas And you don't have an Old Testament. So they're saying, oh, we got all of the other things going on. So we don't like the the geek in the crowd or I walk by somebody who's unattractive or obviously in need. So what? I just do. He says, you broke the kingpin. That's how serious it is. And he puts it right in the same company as murdering or committing adultery. He's saying the same God, by the way, who said thou shalt not murder and thou shalt not commit adultery. It's the same God who says show no favoritism. So for James, people are saying, James, come on, murder, adultery. And then just shunning somebody. What are you saying to that person? You're saying you're worthless. And I 
as a Christian representative of the Most High God, so proclaim it. You are nothing. You are a zero. I don't give you the time of day. Excuse me. You've got a lot of needs. You're so needy. (laughs) James says, murder, adultery, and stuff like that. Same sentence. That ought to get our attention. That may be sober us up and say that God cares about how we treat people. John says, look, if anybody says, you know what, I hate people, and you say you love God, you're a liar. That's John the Apostle. You can't love God and not have a merciful heart. So the final thing, it's so easy, he just says, speak and act remembering that you're going to be judged. Now, when he's talking to Christians, there are two judgments. One is for us and one is for the condemned. We are judged in light of our faithfulness and rewards are given or lack thereof. He says, Paul the Apostle says, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. Did you ever notice the connection there? He's saying, why are you mistreating your brother? Don't you know we're all going to stand before God and give an account? As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. And so he says, if you live in light of God's judgment, that you will be judged for the way you receive people, the way you think about them, the way you make them feel welcome or no, you will be judged for that. Therefore, be merciful. Because if you want God to be merciful with you, the Bible says he will be giving great mercy to whom shows great mercy. So if you're mean and you're always critical and you're very strict and harsh, the Bible says expect God to kind of treat you the same way. But if you're somebody who shows a lot of mercy, he says you will go into judgment triumphantly. You will have nothing to fear. If you've lived your Christian life with mercies out there, you're just a merciful person. Let me, uh, let me give you what it me- mercy means. It means valuing others with high esteem, speaking the truth in love, upholding God's will and moral commands without disregarding love and the highest good of others, considering everybody else better than ourselves. What I'm trying to say is don't get a perverted understanding of what mercy is. Mercy isn't saying, oh, nothing matters. Mercy, mercy, mercy. It's how we treat people. Mercy has a moral component to it. Sometimes you have to say hard things and, and, and show tough love. But the mercy that God is speaking of is the respect and the softness and the humility to be able to know when God is saying, you know, this time we're going to just cover this over with grace, like the woman caught in adultery. And so, really, just really three things, then, our morning reflection. It's a very, number one, it's a very ugly and sinful thing as God's reps to shun people who we judge at face value to be less than worth of our love and respect. Number two, it's crazy to be enamored with the world and its attractions when it's the world that's against the very things we stand for in Christ. The needy and the humble are the ones mostly responding 
and upon whom God is pleased to show mercy. And finally, we must combat our wicked tendency to play favorites by remembering judgment day is coming and wasn't yesterday and wanting to farewell when we face to face, when we're face to face with God. The person who shows much mercy in life will walk into God's throne triumphantly. So think about it. You're going to get tested today. You're going to get tested next week. You're going to be tested at school, in the hallways and in the lounges. You're going to be tested at work, who you sit with, who you make feel welcome, who you go out of your way to speak to and to greet. You're going to be tested. The hidden camera is rolling. And when it plays back in heaven, are we just going to see you loving those who loved you and receiving the face and being kind and gracious to anybody who could benefit you? Or are we going to see you getting past that, laying that down and doing good deeds, not based on the face, but based on the love and mercy of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is so hard to do. It's so easy to talk about. And we amen it in the moment. And then we get tested. So help us in the moment to remember your word. And the same word, may your word give us power and grace to do the right thing. To act with mercy toward everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. At the end of most services, we always like to give somebody the opportunity to pray to receive Christ. Um, if you're here this morning, not a rededication of your life to Christ, but you know you never have yielded, you've never surrendered all, you've never confessed them as your Lord, you'd like to take care of that. You can do so by just uh, repeating a prayer. We call it the sinner's prayer. You believe in your heart, and God says, this is your day. You become born again. We have people available at the end of the services, always by the cross, and they're already over there. Uh, but if there is somebody here who would like us to pray with you, you won't come forward or anything. You just lift your hand, and uh, we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and then we'll all say the prayer together, if, you, if that would be helpful. And so why don't we do that? We bow our heads, close our eyes, and of course the pastors and the Christian workers here look around and make sure they can be helpful. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I like what I'm hearing. I, I am not a Christian, but I want to become one. And this is a day for me. I'm going to give my heart to Christ. And you just signal so by lifting your hand nice and high and say, pray for me. I want to say the sinner's prayer. I want to become a Christian today. I'm just looking around and seeing if there's any hands today. There's pastors over in the overflow looking around as well. And now for those who would like to respond in an altar call of sorts, you just raise your hand if you're saying, uh, I really need to change, I need to repent because I show favorites and I'm, I've, con I've been convicted and I want to acknowledge that before God. You just raise your hand and I'm going to lead us in prayer. We'll all say the prayer that is. Heavenly Father, for all of us who are raising our hands 
even in our hearts, if that's necessary. Lord, we just pray that you'd first of all forgive us for uh, minimizing this sin and that we would turn from it with your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would truly see everybody as just a miracle, just uh, somebody who your heart beats for and you love so much. If, If that person we're thinking about was the only person in the world, you would come and die for them. You'd endure the cross for that person who's, in our eyes, un, un, uh, unlovable for whatever dumb reason. But in your eyes, precious, you knit them together in their mother's womb and you love them. Help us to be like that and sense your love for everybody and to ignore the things that woo us from that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.